So we are in the book of uh, Philippines. No, no, Philippians. I was just kidding. I, I knew what it was. I had to say that after the last couple of weeks. We're in the book of uh, the Philippians and uh, Paul's letter to those of the church of Philippi. And again, he's in prison. He's writing to them. And he is not correcting them. He's not uh, asking them to do anything different, believe anything different, act any different. He's actually commending them in a lot of ways and telling them uh, how much uh, he is proud of them and loves them. And uh, we're going to get to that in just a second. Today we're going to talk about standing firm in unity no matter what. No matter what. But first I want to share with you a a secret um, desire of mine that I rarely share with anybody uh, and that is my secret desire to be a game show host. Uh, I, I don't know how pastoring is uh, uh, much like that. I, sometimes I feel like it's kind of the same. But, uh, and so we're going to play a little game show this morning uh, called 30 Second Choice. And I want you guys to just feel like for the next few moments uh, you are at a game show. I don't know if you've ever been to a taping of a game show, but they're, they're kind of fun. And so I want you to just kind of participate in it. But I need one volunteer from the crowd. Who would volunteer? Not too many brave souls. All right, sir, you right there. So I'm going to slip into I'm, I'm slip into game show host mode here. And we're gonna play and we're gonna play. All right. Oh, some people have been there. Okay. Uh, I, I should have had one of those guys out front here with the sign. Uh, so uh, sir, what's your name? John Eddie. Nice to meet you, John. And what city are you from? Kansas City. All right, John. We're going to play. Yeah, some folks here from Kansas City. That's nice. Uh, so we're going to play 30-second choice. And the way this, uh, ch- this game works is like this, John. We're going to give you a choice here in just a moment. You have two choices. You can choose one of the two. And you only have 30 seconds to decide, okay? So let me share with you what your two choices are, and then I'll give you uh, your time limit so you can decide. You see back here on the screen, here's what you have to choose from. Either a 14-day all-expense trip for four to Disney World in Orlando, Florida, including round-trip airfare, lodging at Disney's Caribbean Beach Resort, uh, park entrance tickets for all 10 days or all 14 days, and all meals, souvenirs for four people for 14 days. Or, or you can choose a 10-day all-expense trip for four on a Southern Caribbean cruise, including round-trip t- tickets to Orlando, Florida. Uh, cruise with stops in San Juan, Puerto Rico, St. Thomas, Aruba, St. Martin, includes all meals, all ship amenities, and souvenirs. You can choose one of those two prizes. Are you ready? Let's begin. 30 seconds. What do you think John should do? Help him out. One dollar. One dollar. That's the wrong show. No whammies, no whammies, okay. All right, and your time is up. John, okay, it's decision time. Which of the two great prizes are you going to choose? We're going to go with the happiest place on earth, Disney Disney, World. All right, congratulations, all right. So John just had a great experience here of choosing between two wonderful things, all right? Now I've got a little bit of bad news for you, John. Well, actually, two little bit of bad news is for you. Uh, The first one is, this is kind of a trick game show. You don't win what you chose. You actually win the other prize. So we're going to send you and three of your friends on a cruise for 10 days in the Caribbean, all right? The one other little thing is, this is all pretending you actually get nothing. (laughs) But thank you for your help. 
Nice to meet you, John. Glad you're here. Now, I do all of that silliness to, uh, so that you will remember the principle you're going to hear this morning. Uh, the Apostle Paul is in a position where he has to choose between two really great things. It's not a choice between good or bad. It's a choice between really, really, really good or really, 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 really good. Okay? And he's going to talk about that, and we're going to see what it is that he's going to choose here in just a few minutes. And by the way, uh, John's not terribly disappointed. Uh, he knew that was coming, that he wasn't really getting anything. I just wanted you all to know that. I didn't want you to feel like he's going to, you know, we don't have to take an offering for him and send him anywhere or anything like that. Okay? So don't forget, Paul's in jail. He's writing to the church at Philippi. And I want you to see what he writes here in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 26. Here's what he says. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now there's a lot of stuff in there. A lot of stuff in there. But I want you to see that the first principle we see here in the last part of chapter 1 is Paul says, living or dying are equal causes for rejoicing for the believer. Equal causes for rejoicing. Now from a human standpoint, we hear that and we go, that's crazy. That's crazy. How can dying be as good or maybe even better than living? That's nuts. I and mean, we spend all of our lives trying to stay alive, right? It's just crazy talk from Paul that he says this. But what he says is, listen, Christ is going to be honored either way. What his focus is, is to honor Christ. And he's saying, if I, if I stay alive, that will honor Christ. If I die, that will honor Christ too. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The reality is in both choices, choices, Christ can be honored. Then he says this great line that is quoted a lot. To live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, listen, if I live, if I stay alive, I remain in Christ. What does he mean by that? He says, I'm going to remain in relationship with him. I'm going to be in his will, in his ministry of the gospel. I'm going to be a part of him. He's in me. I am with him. He says, I'm already doing life in him. I'm already doing that. He says, but dying would be even better. Okay? So what Paul's saying here is, listen, if I, if I stay alive, I will remain in Christ. I'll be in relationship with him. I'll be in his will. I'll be connected to him. But he says, listen, dying would be even better. Now, why is dying better? He says, because I'd actually be with him in his presence. 
That's even better. We don't, we don't look at it that way, do we? Listen, this is not a choice between good and bad. Paul is saying, listen, if I have a choice of living or dying, one choice is really, 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 really good, and the other choice is really, 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 really good. Then he says, listen, if I stay alive, it means I'll be able to continue in fruitful labor. Now, what does that mean? I think this is an important point that he's saying here. So I want us to answer this question. I want you to talk about it in your community groups this week. I want to answer this question, what is fruitful labor? What does the Bible say about fruitful labor? By the way, you might put down in your notes there, John 15, 16. I didn't get that into your notes. But John 15, 16 talks about uh, bearing fruit and bearing fruit that remains. That's the key to life, bearing fruit that remains. Now, what is, what is spiritual fruit? What is spiritual fruit? Well, there's a few things. One is it's developing Christ-like character in both yourself and others. Developing Christ-like character. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. What Paul's saying here, folks, is that if I stay... I can continue to produce godly character in my life. I can continue to yield to Christ and let him produce godly character in my life. I can encourage you. And that will produce more godly character in your life. He said, if I stay, I can labor at this meaningful fruit that finally kind of comes down to we become more Christ-like. And then... Obviously, I think, good character always results in good works. Good works. In Colossians 1.10, the Bible says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, folks, People can do good works out of selfish and self-centered reasons. They're not always uh, for good Christ-like reasons. But Christ-like character always produces good works. Fact is, the more we yield to Christ, the more that he takes over our lives, the more that he kind of uh, seeps out of us because we're yielding to him, the more good works just come out of us. It's just kind of a natural thing. But it's not just developing Christ-like character and good works. He also says, I'm laboring for Christian conversions. Look what it says in Romans 1.13. By the way, all of these uh, verses that I'm quoting here are all Paul writing to somebody somewhere. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, what is he saying? So that I can obtain some fruit among you. Is he saying, hey, I want to come there and, 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 and have a meal with you because the papayas are great. No, he's not saying that. What he's saying is, I want to come there and produce more fruit. I want to see some more people come to know Jesus. And not only the Jews, but also the Gentiles. I want to come there and share the gospel with them. I want to come there and share with them how they can connect to God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we say this a lot around here, and I want to keep saying it. 
Nobody in this room has the ability to change a human heart. Only God can do that. But God, for whatever reason, has chosen to use you and me to be his messengers in this world. We're the ones who share the message, and then God does a work in a person's heart. Paul's saying, listen, there is some fruit that remains, and one of those are people coming to know Jesus as their Savior. And then finally, and we're going to see in Philippians chapter 4 when we get there, that it also means financial giving to God's kingdom. In Philippians 4.17, Paul writes this, Not that I seek the gift. He's talking about how the Philippians have been uh, partners with him in ministry by giving to him and supporting him. He says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. You see, when they give to ministries, when they give to, to things in God's kingdom that produce uh, new converts and godly character and good works, those financial gifts are producing spiritual fruit. Now, we spend a lot of time, folks, on a lot of things in life. Paul's saying, listen, there are a few things that really matter. There are a few things that matter. You know, 100 years from now, it's not going to matter to probably anybody, not even your children's children's children, what kind of job you had. It's not going to matter 100 years from now how big your house was or what kind of car you drive. It's not going to matter 100 years from now probably most of the things we spend the majority of our time and effort and energy doing. But there are a few things that will matter 100 years from now. You produce good character and you teach your children to produce good character, and your children's children, and their children, and that could matter a hundred years from now. You do good works by modeling a good behavior for yourself, for the body of Christ, for the world, for your children, and that passes on, that could matter a hundred years from now. Let me tell you, you lead somebody to Jesus, you don't think that's going to matter a hundred years from now? That's going to matter a hundred years, a thousand years, a million years from now, especially to them. If you think that what we do on Sunday mornings is collecting money to pay the light bill, that's a teeny tiny little piece of that. But folks, that's not what we're doing. This church sponsors missionaries between the cooperative program, the North American Mission Board, local ministries. We sponsor over 10,000 missionaries all around the world who are sharing the gospel and leading others to Christ in virtually every country that's open in the world. You don't think that's going to matter 100 years from now? It wouldn't surprise me if somebody walks up to you or I and says to us one day, hey, you remember that church you were part of? You remember when you gave on Sunday mornings? That helped sponsor a missionary to come to my village, and he shared the gospel with me. I just want to thank you for what you did. That won't surprise me, folks. See, there are a few things that matter in life, and there's a whole lot more that doesn't. And Paul's saying, listen, if I stay, and he's kind of going through this process in his mind, if I stay, I'll be able to continue this fruitful labor. And he goes on to say, hey, this is still, uh, this is still a tough decision. It's a really hard decision. He says, I, man, I just don't know what to do. He's actually battling in his mind. Is it better for me to stay alive? And, and, and do these things, or to just die and be with Jesus. Now, I get this a little bit. 
Okay? When I was 12 years old and I became a Christian, when I realized at 12 that I was a sinner and uh, I couldn't do anything to erase my sin, but God had sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for my sins, and by putting my faith and trust in Him and what He did, my sins could be forgiven. I could become a child of God and, and live in heaven with God forever. I understood all of that intellectually. But as I'm getting older, and, you know, when you're 12, you don't think you're ever going to die. And as I get older, and my body begins winding down a little in certain ways, I'm just, I'm, I'm getting, I'm starting to get a little homesick for heaven. I and mean, I'm not, not, I don't want to go today, okay, you know, don't anybody help me out. <laughs> but, but it's becoming more real to me. I don't know what day I'm going to die, but I'm closer to it than I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, 25 years ago. I get what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, man, I've, this guy's been beaten to a pulp in every city he's gone to since he gave his life to Christ. And he's saying, you know what? Man, some days I just want to call it quits. And you know what? It'd be better for me. It would be better for me. My citizenship is not in this world. It is in the next. I am just, I am just a sojourner here. I am passing through. Paul gets it. But he says, my selfish choice, as he goes on to ponder this, my selfish choice would be to go to be with Christ, because that's really better for me. It benefits him tremendously. But then he says, that's kind of the selfish choice. Choice, The more selfless choice is to remain in the flesh, to remain alive, and have this fruitful labor that continues more and more if I just ultimately stay with you. And he says, because I love you, I'm going to stay with you, and, and, and I'm going to stay because it helps your progress in the joy and faith of the gospel. So I'm going to stick with you. And then he says, finally, I hope to come and be with you sometime soon. Now we know uh, that these are probably this, this letter is probably the last uh, we don't know this for sure, but, we, but this is the last way that he communicates with the church of Philippi. He never gets back there. And so he's telling him, man, I hope to see you again. I hope to get with you again. But you know what? I'm going to stick with you. I'm going to stay alive because when I write to you, when I uh, converse with you in some manner or form, I'm encouraging you to produce fruit that remains forever instead of just living for today. And then he finishes chapter 1 by telling them to stand firm in unity in spite of persecution, no matter what. Look what it says in verses 27 through 30. Paul writes this. He says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have." 
Paul says, listen, stand firm in unity in spite of persecution, no matter what. Now he starts that passage there. He says, let the way you live life be worthy of receiving the gospel of Jesus. Now if that's not a challenge, I don't know what is. He's saying, listen, God has gone to a lot of trouble. By the way, I use that wor- those words with some of you. As you tell me your story of how things worked out and situations happened and God was directing you and steering you and getting, right, getting you right to the place he wanted you to be when you gave your life to him or when you found this church or when you made some other spiritual decision. See, folks, God's actively working in our lives. Some people notice it and some people don't. But Paul's saying, listen, God's gone to a lot of trouble to get you right where he wants you, to tell you just what he wants to tell you, so his Holy Spirit can convict your heart of just what he wants to convict you of, so that you will give your life to him, and so that you will live for him. Now, make it up to him by the way you live. Yikes! I mean, we can't do that. There's no possible way that we could ever, ever make that up. But what he's saying is, guys, live your life in a manner that's worthy of what God has done for you. See, the reality is, many times we forget what God has done for us. And when we're standing at that, at that spot where we go, wow, there's a temptation. I, mean, I know I really shouldn't do it. Nobody's around, I really could do it. I'll ask for God's forgiveness later. I'll do that. He, he always forgives me. And we're standing right there. In that moment, what we're saying is, when we take that step and commit that sin, what we're really saying is, God, I want to forget for a few moments what you've done for me because I want to do this instead. Paul's saying, don't forget, guys. Live your life in a manner that's worthy of what God has done for you. And then he says, but whether I come to you or not, whether I actually get there in person or not, Stand firm in one spirit and one mind. Now, some people hear that and they're like, oh, how can we possibly have you know, one mind on everything and one spirit about everything? Paul's not saying, uh, all of you just need to have the same opinion about everything. He's not saying that. There's no possible, listen, we can't get four people in a room, talk about ten subjects and everybody agree on everything, okay? So the likelihood of getting a whole church full of people to agree on everything is just, it's goofiness. That's not what it means. In context of this passage, what he's saying is, it's not all about being the same opinion about everything, but still being unified, especially when it comes to striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Now, I would assume that uh, most everybody who is a member of our church has been through the Connect class or they've read our beliefs. I would, I, would, I would guess and hopefully be right, everybody who's a member of Fellowship of Grace agrees on some things. We should all agree uh, that the Bible is God's word that is inspired by him, that it is our ultimate authority, that the author of that book who has both inspired it and, and uh, uh, protected it through history, that that is our final authority. And our goal is to know it, understand it, and live it. Hopefully we all agree on that. There's a, probably a thousand other things that we're not going to agree on. Okay, if we decided to paint this room, and we decided to have one big meeting and invite everybody to it and say, okay, what does everybody think? It would probably turn out to be a brawl. We couldn't get everybody to agree on a, on a color. 
What he's saying is not that everybody agrees on everything, but listen, that everybody have the same heart, the same spirit when it comes to striving together for the gospel's sake. In other words, we should all link arms and, and, and realize that outside these doors, even if we disagree on some peripheral things, as we walk out these doors, we're walking into the mission field and we are going to link arms and we are going to push back the darkness together. We are going to expand the kingdom of God together. We may not always agree on every way to do it at times, but we should still strive to do it together. By the way, that's why we have the, the name of our, our uh, youth department, our youth group, is the Strive Student Ministry. We want them to learn at a young age to strive together, to link arms with their brothers and sisters in Christ and go to their schools and be a missionary, to push back the darkness in their schools and in their neighborhoods so that when they become adults, it's just a normal thing for them to do. He says, I want you to work hard. This word strive means, you know, kind of grit your teeth and, oh, oh. If you think about like pulling a heavy cart, I'm striving to do it. Now listen, I think our church is full of good, hardworking people. Many of you have very responsible jobs. I know you work really hard. I've been to your homes. I know you work really hard at keeping them up, at doing things, at getting things. You're hardworking people. Here's the question. Do we work as hard for the things that will matter a hundred years from now as we do for the things that won't matter a month from now? Do we put as much energy and effort and sweat and tears and blood in our yards or do we put more in the kingdom of God? Now, if you know me, I, I put as little effort as possible into my yard. But I work hard at other things. I work hard at other things. But, but do we strive? Do we work hard together at living and fulfilling the gospel? We should. That's what Paul's telling him. And then he says, don't be frightened by the opposition, folks. Listen, when you begin to push back the darkness and you begin to engage in that spiritual battle, opposition will come. Fact, if your life has no opposition and you have no persecution in your life, you might want to think that maybe you're spending too much time on the bench instead of on the field. Because once you get on the field, you run into the opposition. But he says, hey, listen, don't be frightened by them because when you show no fear, it communicates to the opposition that we already know we've won. And by the way, Jesus suffered. Paul's now suffering. Why in the world wouldn't we expect to suffer a little? And most of the people in this room, most of us in this room, have suffered very, very little for the sake of Christ. When you think about a worldwide view of that. Listen, Paul's trying to encourage them, folks, and he's trying to encourage us. God is using Paul to try and encourage us. He's trying to say, listen, when you are a believer, whether you live or whether you die, God benefits and you're blessed. By the way, I, and I'm, I'm oh, that was almost a bad, I'm dead serious, okay? If I die and I'm still a pastor here, I want you guys to have a party. I want it to be catered by Smokehouse. I want the band to play. I mean, I, I want you to, listen, I am going to be so much better off. I hope you'll miss me a little bit, but man, I'm going to be partying like mad in heaven. 
want you to get in on a little bit. You know, funerals for, for, for people who really know Jesus, I, I know we go through grief, folks, and it's a human experience. I get it all. But deep down, we should just go, man, it is well with my soul. It is well. This isn't the end. This is the beginning of eternity for them. Paul's trying to help us understand this so that we don't live our lives with our heads and our hearts so caught up in the whirlwind of everyday stuff that goes on and we forget the things that matter, that will matter a hundred years from now. He's trying to remind them of it and God's using the church at Philippi to remind us. And folks, our church should stand firm in unity, especially for the striving of the gospel. We should work hard at leading people to Jesus. We should work hard at building Christian character in ourselves and in our families and in our friends. We should work hard at doing good works. We should work hard at financing the things that really matter. The fact is, for most of us, if we go through Financial Peace University, we're going to see the majority of all of our money is spent on things that at the end of the day are really about just staying alive on this planet. They're not for things that really matter. We've got to figure out a way to become more generous, not so that we can point to ourselves and say, look how generous we are, but so that we can invest more in the kingdom of God so that more people will join us in heaven. Folks, Paul, he's not beating them up about this. He is encouraging them. He's saying, listen, you're a good church. Fellowship of Grace, you are a good church. I have people tell me all the time, this is the only church I've ever been to that, and then they say something. And it's not always the same thing. It's a lot of different things. This is a really, really, really good church. We're not the only good church in town, but this was a really, really good one. I want us to be encouraged by what we see here, that we don't get caught up in wasting our lives on things that don't matter and forget the things that really, really matter. John had two good choices. He could have chosen either one, and both of them bid wonderful. We could have taken it away and given him the other one. It could have been wonderful. Folks, we need to have this idea in our minds about life and death. About life and death. Paul, even though he was getting homesick for heaven, the choice was to live because it benefited others with fruitful labor. And he was encouraging us to stand firm in the gospel no matter what. I pray for myself and for you that as I get even older and older and older and older and I get more and more homesick for heaven and it becomes closer and closer and closer, I hope I never get to the place where I lose the idea that it's still better for me to remain. I'm going to remain here on this planet as long as I can, not because... Not because I just, I'm afraid of dying, but because I want to be a blessing to you and my children's children's children and the people that don't know Jesus yet that are right outside these doors. I want to be used by God in a great way, and I want God to use us in a great way to push back the darkness in Parkville and in Kansas City and around the state and around the world. Folks, we can do that. We can do that. We've got to get our, our heads right on the things that matter and not get caught up in all the things 
that don't. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these great words that you have given us through the Apostle Paul. Father, I pray for forgiveness for the times when I have let the whirlwind of life overtake my thinking, overtake my heart, and just live for what's in this world, even if it's not a bad thing. God, I pray that you would keep our hearts and our minds focused, our hearts focused on the things that really matter, that you will help us uh, to just stay focused on growing in our Christ-like character, modeling that for others, doing good works for one another and for those who are outside the kingdom. Father, help us to invest in the lives of people, to see them come to know you as their Savior so that they could join us in heaven. And Father, help us to organize and reorganize our lives in a way that we can become more generous, not to impress you or to impress each other or anything like that, but just to invest in the things financially that matter forever. God, help us to stay focused that way. And Father, we also pray that no matter what, you will help this church to stand firm in the gospel of Jesus. That no matter what comes along, no matter what the government does, no matter what the culture does, no matter what our friends do, no matter what our, our, our parents or our children do, no matter what anybody else does, that you will help this church to link arm in arm and strive and work hard for the kingdom of God until we see every person come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.